Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straup and this is your conference championship preview show. We will be previewing the NFC and AFC championship games, looking at all the key options on all four teams. And to do this, I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, Denny Carter. Guys, I'm hoping this weekend we at least get some decent games because if last weekend is a standard, I think I'm sitting this one out. I think I'm done. I, I don't want to watch any more football after last weekend. I've decided. Sunday was good. Sunday was amazing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it was, incre- it was incredible. Kidding, yeah. 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 It was melted off. It was life-altering, excellent <laughs> football on Sunday. You should you should say that about Saturday. A Saturday is still getting an unruly, like positive notion for some reason when Saturday was the worst football we've seen in a few months. But Sunday, Sunday made up for it. Right? I, had, I had like an... Yeah, go ahead, Danny. After the Chiefs Bills game, I I don't I don't know if there's anywhere to go but down. I think that the league should have just called it. You know, okay, well that's all we got. You know, <laughs> the NFL 102. <laughs> I gotta say, shout out to one John Daigle and the Friday DFS show because the one constant I had locked and loaded into my DFS lineups was one Gabriel Davis, who, as you may have heard, had a decent game in that losing effort. We were fortunately on that one, saying that the lone. <laughs> The priority bring back with Josh Allen was Gabriel Davis, not the false ceiling of Stephon Diggs and Aaron Jones over Devontae Adams. So we got yes. those two right for sure. What's funny is that tons of compliments. Thanks to everyone reaching out for, for applauding me for getting them on Gabe Davis. At the same time, I wasn't in the payouts with you at the top because uh, <laughs> I played the Rams 49ers game all wrong. But nonetheless, everyone else won, and that's what matters. I have to say, those two plays made a huge difference for me. I, I texted Daigle on, on Sunday thanking him for the Gabe Davis thing because I changed some lineups to get Gabe Davis in there. And I also, I didn't have any Devontae, and I had all the Aaron Jones because it, it just made too much sense to me that, that you know, the, the it's ultimate leverage, you know. if, if And then A.J. A- a- Dillon going out, exacerbated even more so i i am i am grateful and did pay off for me so grown men tears in their eyes are coming up to daigle thanking him for saying play gabe davis <laughs> big burly men for for 200 <laughs> yards and four touchdowns for gabe davis uh admittedly did not expect that one i will say by the way the bidding in my dynasty league starts at three first rounders if you want to acquire gabe davis from me so hit me up my only question on Aaron Jones is how does one not score when one catches a pass without a defender within 25 yards? <laughs> is he, especially Aaron Jones, especially someone. Is Aaron speed. Jones not fast? I, I've, I'll, I will never recover from him not scoring a touchdown there. I thought it was I thought it was a slam dunk. The Packers fixed the game. It, it really was an all time. That went down like a lead balloon. I do not think that for the record. <laughs> Bad, yeah, not okay, man. It, it wasn't. It wasn't all time that that Bills Chiefs game. The final two minutes was an all time for me, anyways. DFS roller coaster. Like yeah. the number of times we, you know, people were changing positions in DFS tournaments was just or pools was just wild. Yeah, I was screaming at my phone after the fourth Gabe Davis touchdown. I was screaming at my phone, <laughs> update, update. <laughs> I need yeah. to see it. Come on. Uh, you know. Yeah. Wild stuff. All right. Well, we start this weekend, which zero chance in the world it will possibly be a letdown after Sunday. The Bengals at the Chiefs, Kansas City favored by seven, a total of 54 and a half here. And when we last saw these Bengals, it was 
that ugly 19-16 win over the Titans, a game where Joe Burrow famously got sacked nine times. How much do we fear those protection issues, Daigle, when it comes to this matchup at Kansas City? It's going to come down to whether or not they can consistently get pressure on him because even taking those nine sacks, Joe Burrow quietly averaged two and a half yards per attempt under pressure against the Titans, whereas for the game, he was still over nine. So it's literally going to come down to how much has his defense truly changed and can they consistently get inside the pocket and disrupt Burrow throughout the game. The Chiefs don't have an amazing pass rush either. Has it been better lately? Is there any narrative on that? I mean, Chris Jones has been better lately, question mark, maybe. I don't know. It's been a little bit, but also as we talked about before the Bills game, that the Chiefs defense is still a bit farce because their quarterback schedule in the last two months leading up to their postseason run was less than spectacular and of course the bills it is the bills but the bills had no issues going down the field every single chance they got well then too as you mentioned then once the schedule did toughen up uh, greg rosenthal found the stat that over their past four games against teams that were not starting ben roethlisberger at quarterback they've allowed over 30 points and 400 yards per game the chiefs defense so uh, not peaking at the right time seeing as yeah the fact that they let Gabe Davis have the best receiver game in the history of NFL football against them last Sunday night. I hadn't heard Gabe Davis had a – did he have a good game? Yeah, himself uh, a ball weekend. game. <laughs> Joe Mixon, meanwhile, went over 100 yards with a touchdown on 20 touches last week, Pat. That, that came after that somewhat quiet performance in the wild card round. Are we projecting more good times for Mixon this weekend against the Chiefs? Well, like here's the thing with the Bengals offense. They kind of finally did go away from like this attempt to be balanced, this attempt – to lead with the run when they could. Joe Burrow in three of his past four games has reached 348 yards passing. He has four of his past six. Three of those games were against playoff teams. So they're opening up their offense in the biggest games of the year. You know, they they got down a little bit in the mud with the Raiders and the Titans, but I don't think they're going to try to like unveil like a ball control game plan, which, you know, sometimes teams do against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I don't think they're going to have – I, I don't think they're going to delude themselves into thinking they have any chance of winning that way. And that they're just, they're really, it's, you can't out cheat, out chief the chiefs, but really the only way the Bengals can win is trying to out chief the chiefs. And I think they're going to have to do that. I don't think they're going to really rely on the run. You know, Joe Mixon, he hasn't reached 20 carries or 70 yards rushing since November, hmm. but you can hope on him finishing drives. There's going to be goal line carries. You can hope that he'll catch passes. He has 13 receptions and two playoff games. But passing game usage is just so weirdly sporadic. In other words, it's inconsistent with Joe Mixon, but it seems like he's back to catching five or six passes a week. And I just, you're not going to get home, I feel like, with rushing volume with Joe Mixon, but you do have two pretty good avenues to DFS points and touchdown upside and receptions. It's that passing game usage that seems to at least be sticking, as Pat mentioned in the last month, as to why I have Mixon ranked as my top running back among all of them available and the confidence champions around. And Ricks 1 through 15, Mixon averaged two and a half targets per game with an 8% target share, running around 48% of Joe Burrow's dropbacks. But in his last four appearances from week 16 on, six and a half targets per game, a 16.5% target share literally doubled, and a route on nearly 60% of Burrow's dropbacks. So the usage is much better. And you can see that in averaging at least, and seeing at least five targets in four consecutive games. Mixon, his matchup is not bad either. You know, the, I, I talked to my article, um, my DFS piece on his pass game usage as the main draw here, as, as you guys are have pointed out. But 
The matchup is against the Kansas City defense, allowing the fourth most running back receptions per game and the second most running back receiving yards per game. They're giving up six and a half running back catches a game. So I, I, I really I think that, you know, Mixon has in his range of outcomes a six or seven catch game here. Turning our attention to the Bengals wide receivers, Jamar Chase went over 100 yards for the second straight playoff game, five catches for 109 yards to be exact. Uh, meanwhile, there were some doubts around T. Higgins heading to the divisional round. I think one catch for 10 yards in the wild card round, but he bounced back for seven catches, 96 yards. So, Denny, how does this matchup look for the Bengals' top receivers? Yeah, I, I think two shows ago, two Thursday shows ago, I, I talked about how uh, T. Higgins' target per route run rate had just completely collapsed on itself after he was after he had the team's highest target per route run rate over the middle part of the season and I'm trying here. Okay. Uh, the <laughs> analytics are, are tough to talk about sometimes, but you know, la- last week that changed. He was targeted on an encouraging 20% of his routes uh, against the Titans. It was not as, as high as his 24% route during the regular season, but we'll, we'll take it over what he was getting, which was near the single digits, honestly, as far as, as far as targets per route run. So I, I think uh, if we see a similar approach this week that the Titans took, which is to shade coverage over to Jamar Chase, you know, live in sheer terror of the big play from Jamar Chase, then T. Higgins should be in a good spot, in a favorable position. And we have to remember, and I, I'm sure you guys agree to an extent here, but uh, T. Higgins would be like an unquestioned alpha receiver on half the teams in the league. You know, we it's easy to forget because how good Jamar Chase has been. Yeah, it's so weird. The Bengals receivers, I mean, Jamar Chase had the 16th most receiving yards in NFL history when these teams played a month ago. So then, like, it would stand the reason, like, why would the Chiefs just not bracket Jamar Chase? Why would they just not roll all the coverage Jamar Chase and dare the Bengals to beat them elsewhere? But this is not really viable when the backup plan is T Higgins, or it's like Denny said, could be a legitimate number one. I'm probably seriously half the teams in the league. So I just don't, I don't know if the chiefs, is there a viable way for the chiefs to shut down Jamar chase in this game or no, I just kind of feel like there's not. They are getting him involved in intricate ways uh, on their first four drives against the Titans. Chase's two touches came on a 57 yard screen and a carry. So even when he's not getting those big shots, like he had the big 19 yard catch to put Evan McPherson in game winning field goal position in the last quarter. But even when he's not getting those big targets and big catches, like they are finding new ways to use him. So that's why his floor is extremely high, but could T Higgins out produce him? Sure. Right. Yeah. I'm being conservative here. I, I think in my piece, I said 20 teams. I think that that's where I, that's how I really feel about how T Higgins would be regarded on another team. To Denny's point about Higgins being, you know, a top guy <laughs> on half the teams in the league as someone who watched a lot of Russell Gage, Tajay Sharp and Alameda Zacchaeus this season, I can say that is correct. I mean, half that the NFC South, the Falcons and Saints. I mean, I think if you combined all of their receivers together, not including Calvin Ridley, that composite player would be almost as good as T Higgins. CJ Ozoma also under the radar is a really good option. I've been playing a lot of conference championship only best ball leagues because I'm having all the sex right now. And <laughs> Ozoma is usually the one who is like the fourth or fifth tight end yeah. on the board when I think he should be going again ahead of Higby. In some cases, going ahead of Kittle if you're forming bingle stacks. So 
fresh off a season high eight targets, 21% target share in this last game because the Titans, Azoma should definitely be considered as like a top two or three tight end. Yeah, ninety percent route rate on Burrow's dropbacks this this postseason. So it's it. Yeah, Uzama, Uzama is on DraftKings on. is is wildly mispriced. Did you know that Denny has an implant in his wrist that just streams CJ Uzama data into his brain <laughs> twenty four hours a day, and he can talk about CJ Uzama at any second of any day? I could have a podcast dedicated to only CJ Uzama. And you do, actually. I mean, no one listens to it. Is we're, we're not marketing it enough. I mean, I'll say that to the NBC staff. Maybe market Denny's CJ Ozama podcast more. I've, I, they we, wanted the Ryan Griffin podcast instead. Go ahead. Last week, I think we mentioned, what are we doing with our free time now? While I'm still struggling, yeah. feeling those minutes of the day, I will say that I've gotten really into, and I've always been into this, but the... Foreign, I guess it's horror movies. Not really, but the the Squid Game, the Battle Royales, the Alice in Borderland, all the foreign storytelling plots that I enjoy. And they're all just survivor shows, right? And so it just seems like Denny, if you right. were ever in like an alter re, alternate reality and he was forced to survive, it would have to be like for his yeah. own torture. They would say the game would be don't talk about CGO Zoma for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Or, or, or they would have to tell me to talk about a yeah. good player. And I'd be like, tell me about, I don't know. I, don't, I never talked about a good player. Also, in fairness to the. Pat's point, like the CJ Uzama podcast, Pat is having to compete with your Kenny Aboa only show. So that that's boring <laughs> feeds. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. There's only so many ears. Only the real heads remember. I wonder if should I add him back to my roster this offseason? I know he's available. Before we move to the Chiefs, Tyler Boyd Maybe. just two catches for 17 yards. Daigle, are we done here? Are we have we are we not going this far this week? I don't have as strong of an argument as I did last week for him when he busted because T. Higgins bounced back. I would just say if the pendulum swung one way, of course, it can swing the next way again the next week. So if Tyler Boyd had two targets this past game, but was still featured heavily the two games prior, then, of course, he could bounce back. And as a two-game slate, so the limited options makes it pretty easy still to click on him. Yeah, it all boils down to the two-game slate, by the way. It, and, and Yeah, that's how you defend pretty, anything. Pretty much anything goes. You know, it's like campaign finance. <laughs> anything goes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to get put. Whoa. No politics. Whoa. Canceled. Flipping it to the Chiefs, huge days for Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and that, and Travis Kelsey in that insane win over the Bills that we mentioned. This is another game, as I said, with a high total, 54.5. So, Pat, are you buying this game, living up to that billing, when it comes to the setup for this Chiefs passing attack? I I really feel like this this game, I, mean, I understand why the betters, the, the, the betters, quote-unquote, aren't doing it, like why Vegas, quote-unquote, isn't doing it. But, like, this should be like a college-level total, I feel like, like 60.5. 62 yeah. and a half. The Chiefs are averaging 37 points over their past seven games. Five of those were either playoff games or against playoff teams. As we documented earlier, when the Bengals have gone like sim- similarly nuts over the past four or six weeks, where they've just opened up their passing attack more and more. And, you know, the teams where they need to pass, they're doing it. They're going to have to pass against the Chiefs. It's actually like extremely nice weather. It's going to be like mid-40s. The kickoff's at 2 p.m. Central time. The weather's not going to be a concern. And this is going to be like the – I mean, it's not going to be as good as Chiefs-Bills, but I definitely feel like it's going to be like whoever scores the most – whoever – Whoever scores the most is going to win the game. Uh, no, not, but like. Well, say we're predictions at the end, Pat. Predictions at the end. Right, but uh, it's go- I, I was going to say, I was going to try to say whoever has the ball last is going to win. I don't think it's quite that level. I think the Chiefs 
right, well, well, it's not going to be like a final possession type game for the Chiefs, but I, I just don't see any way to think this game just doesn't go totally nuts. And the only way would be if the Bengals decided to play the ball control offense, and there's just zero evidence they're thinking about doing that. Quickly, Adam, can we just clip off that take from Pat that whoever <laughs> scores the most will win? <laughs> You know, if, you know, the way things have been going in the playoffs, the team that scores the most points in this game won't win somehow. There's going to be like an NFL rule. Actually, yeah, I mean, no one likes the rule. We haven't taken it out of the rule book. But for some reason, the Chiefs scored more points than they're not allowed to win this game. Patrick Mahomes and this offense truly have upgraded since their last matchup when they played the Bengals. Even if you look at his postseason box scores and you see nine and a half yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, one pick, you would think, okay, lots of deep shots being con- not being conservative and explosive offense, but it's the exact opposite where now you can't stop them even in playing nine too high safety because they've just upgraded across the board. During the postseason, Patrick Mahomes is 29 to 38, 76% completion rate for 290 yards, 7.7 yards per attempt and two touchdowns within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. 20 plus yards deep throwing downfield. He's only taken four shots in two games and he's three or four for 100 yards, 26 yards per attempt and two touchdowns, no picks. He doesn't need to go deep for the offense to be the best in the entire league. And that's the difference here in their first matchup with the Bengals. That's a really, really good point. And our producer, Adam, points out that the the over has hit in each of the past three Patrick Mahomes started AFC Championship games in Kansas City. So it's a lock, folks. And if I remember correctly, the Chiefs lost not one but two starting offensive linemen before that big game against the Bengals a few weeks ago. They had a, a pre, pre-game injury and then an in-game injury and they had to sh- they had to kind of sh- shift some guys around in the offensive line. They they're not going to be in that spot this week. I I really I like I said in the piece I I don't see any way that the Bengals defense. By the way, Bengals defense has not shut down any legit offense this season. All halfway decent offenses have had at least solid games against them. I don't see any way that. Happens. How dare you speak? How dare you speak about Ryan Tannehill that way? And. And remember, they they were up by two scores in the first half in this first matchup. Yeah, the Bengals had to roar back. No pun intended. We, we we wondered how this Chiefs backfield would shake out last week, and it was Darrell Williams inactive with Jarek McKinnon handling most of the passing game work and getting 15 touches to just eight for Ceh. So, Denny, are you bullish on McKinnon again this week as the lead guy? I almost see you shaking your head as yeah, I ask that. Yeah, I'm shaking that. my head because I, okay, it's a two game slate. I just want to remind everybody. Yeah, I want to remind. It's a two game slate, so. We're going to have to get weird. I think one of the weird things that you can do here, and I, I again, I had take no pleasure in saying any of this, but it's to go a little bit heavier on Clyde Edwards-Elair than than McKinnon. And and again, look, I know, I know McKinnon, you know, out carried, out targeted, ran way more routes than Ceh last week. I, I I get all that, but you know, another week removed from the shoulder injury against a Bengals defense that has been pretty bad against the run who D- Darrell Williams, when he was a work, had his workhorse role against the Bengals. I uh, remember that guy. Right. He hasn't played since then. And you know, he, he had um, over a hundred yards, 120 some total yards, two touchdowns in that game. So I, I think CEH is only for differentiation purposes in play. Now he's actually on DraftKings he's pricier than McKinnon, which makes it so much harder to stomach. But, you know, we're trying to get weird. 
better game theory though. Which it, that's all, that's all, that's always the better game theory situation though for DFS when a player is a little bit more and you just go up for them because everyone else is going down. Right. I mean, Ceh is going to have as as low roster ship as you can imagine on a two game slate. Let's say that. And I don't mind that because there's one back in particular who's going to be over rostered. We'll get to that in the next game that I think is a pretty easy fade, and yet everyone's going to play him. But for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like Denny mentioned, just to just to run only 11 routes to McKinnon's 41 to earn only two targets to McKinnon's seven, like you know McKinnon's still going to most likely be the team's lead back. But the fact Edwards-Alaire got the team's only running back touch inside the 10-yard line, that's what we're hoping for here. In a two-game slate, you're hoping for a goal line carry. Right. And in Clyde Edwards-Alaire being the bigger back, he'd be the one to be in on the goal line so that's what we're hoping for and i don't hate it yeah he had nine carries last week i i think he's a lock for double digit carries against the Bengals, which is not not bad you could do worse miko hardman and byron pringle speaking of getting weird potentially both found the end zone last week pringle three touchdowns in two games in the playoffs so maybe not even that weird but uh, daigle i guess like would be too strong a word but are you at all intrigued by either of these guys opportunity against the Bengals? well whereas demarcus robinson ran more routes than byron pringle the week prior against the steelers and this game byron pringle was solidified as their slot wide out the third receiver behind travis kelsey or the second receiver i should say behind Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey running 46 routes to Demarcus Robinson's 38. So it seemed to be a separation where Byron Pringle is absolutely their second receiver. So I don't even think it's weird. I just think he's a good play, honestly. One game down, one to go. First, we're going to take a quick break. The NFL playoffs are here, and NBC Sports Edge Plus is giving you a special offer. Get 15% off an Edge Plus annual subscription throughout the playoffs when you use promo code PLAYOFF15. Get every tool for every game at one low price. It is easier than ever to play and wager with confidence when you have NBC Sports Edge Plus. Game number two, the Niners at the Rams in the NFC title game. According to our friends at PointsBet, the Rams are favored by three and a half, a total of 46. Now, last week in that narrow win over the Bucks, that somehow I think altered the space-time continuum by Brady and the Bucks not coming back and winning that game. I don't think that was supposed to happen, but it did happen. Matthew Stafford threw for 366 yards and a couple of scores. Exactly half of those yards, 183, went to Cooper Cup. Pat, are we set up for another high-volume game for this Rams passing attack? I feel like we're not. His 38 attempts last week were the most since week 13, and yeah, he probably would not have approached that had they not had to go into second half panic mode, second half 28 to three mode, second half this is happening mode. Just many, many different <laughs> modes were activated in the second half of Rams Bucks. But so Matthew Stafford has four picks in his two games <laughs> against the Rams or against the 49ers this year. And you know, that's probably part of the reason why the Rams went so much run heavier down the stretch. It wasn't just the 49ers that he was throwing picks against, but you know, his interception rate really went up for a while in the second, kind of like the second, third of the season, as we've talked about. You know, they went a lot more run heavy. They've fallen in love with Cam Akers again the past two or three weeks. And so he hasn't had a good year against the 49ers defense. And, you know, the 49ers, too, like, for, I guess, how are they going to neutralize this 49ers pass rush, by the way? The Rams, the 49ers pass rush, like, might be the most fearsome unit left in the NFL. But just the 49ers, so we're talking about the Matthew Stafford and how that relates to the Rams passing game volume. I mean, the Jimmy Garoppolo lack of passing game volume is also going to contribute to that where I kind of, like I said, there's no way to envision the Bengals going ball control. There's basically no way to envision the 49ers not going ball control because obviously it's their preferred approach. They've seen what we've seen. Or I like Jimmy Garoppolo, even when he's healthy, you don't want to put the game on the shoulders. 
now with the shoulder and the thumb, neither of which seem to be getting better. You wonder about his confidence after he had not just multiple dropped interceptions last week, but multiple dropped pick sixes, like passes that should have been returned for touchdowns. It's just the, the, the air is going to, there's never going to be less air in the ball for the 49ers than there is this week. And that's going to affect the Rams and their passing game volume. That's why everyone talks about this matchup. The key difference being, or the X factor being how Jimmy Garoppolo matches up against the Rams defense. And I don't even think that matters because he's already been bad. Who cares how he matches up? He matches up poorly. Does that make a difference? No, he's averaged <laughs> 151 yards in the playoffs. He has two interceptions and zero touchdowns. He's averaged 6.8 yards per attempt, and it hasn't mattered at all. So why does it matter here? Right. It literally comes down to can the 49ers front seven keep wrecking? Because if so, the 49ers win this game. We saw in week 18 against the Rams, by the way, the – pressure rate Matthew Stafford was under. That was the highest rate he faced all year. And the wild card, 48% against Dak Prescott with the 49ers. That was the highest rate Dak Prescott faced all year. And then last week in the divisional round against Aaron Rodgers, the second highest pressure rate Aaron Rodgers faced all year. We also know Stafford has been tremendous against the Blitz this season, averaging 74% completion rate, nine yards per attempt with 13 touchdowns. And the two Previous games, he was blitzed, even against the Bucks, split 16 times, eight and a half yards per attempt and a touchdown. But against the 49ers in week 18, they only blitzed on 16% of his dropbacks. They know how to wreck their offensive line without even sending more than four. And that's what I'm concerned about here. So I actually think it's a tremendous matchup for the 49ers. Yeah, in the in the two games, uh, just to jump on to what Daigle's saying here about the blitz, in two games against Stafford this year, the Niners have blitzed on on eight of eighty one dropbacks for Stafford, so they they're not they're not doing it, and I don't think that that that'll change. And these numbers are per Warren Sharp against the blitz. Stafford's actually been really good when the Niners do blitz him on the rare occasion when he when he, when they haven't. Stafford has thrown two interceptions. I'm sorry, four interceptions to two touchdowns and averages five point eight yards per attempt. So, which is way down from the from the non blitz numbers. I'm sorry from the blitz numbers. Anyway, the way the 49ers defend Matthew Stafford puts the Rams offense in a really tough spot. Those who hung out in my Tuesday waivers chat, even early in the year, you know, we, we talk about everything, even betting futures. And I had to have guided some people for better or worse that looked terrible. And I can't believe we're almost there on 49ers futures that I took in the off season. And I still have those tickets. They're still in my phone. They're still in the book, and they're live for a lot more money than I should be getting on 49ers Super Bowl futures. But they are absolutely live still here. And just like you thought, Trey Lance is leading them to the (laughs) promise. Just like I thought it's Trey Lance, yes. And George Kittle is the number one tight end. (laughs) Change of pace running back Debo Samuel. Raheem Mostert blowing up off defenses. Yeah, just like I thought. (laughs) All those Wayne Gallman best ball picks, too, are just home runs. All those as well, yeah. (laughs) As he went on like three different teams. Don't don't Uh, joke about that. Well, so bad spot for the Rams offense potentially. I want to talk about Cam Akers in a second, who Pat brought up already. But, Denny, so... All of this, this whole landscape doesn't sound great for Odell Beckham Jr. and Tyler Higby, the secondary pass catchers. I mean, can you offer any optimism there? It's a, it's a two-game slate. I will remind you that. And I've, I've already forgotten. Thank you. Yeah. I, 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 okay, yes. It would be really hard for me to, to go in on either OBJ or Higby this week, considering this really run-heavy and suboptimal, I'll say kindly, approach that Sean McVay has deployed since honestly since week 15 really and we, we've seen the the rams pass rate go from 60 percent before then to 52 percent since week 15 and this is including 
the postseason. So I, I, I think it would be it's really hard to paint a picture to imagine a, a narrative where OBJ gets gets sprinkled with targets, not sprinkled, gets flooded with targets. Let's say Pepper. peppered, peppered. Sorry, my oh, dog is not not happy. So I, I, I think that you you can you can go elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> at a similar price Day-lished. point. I mean, honestly, like like CJ Uzama versus Higby, it's I don't even think it's a contest. Again, though, it's a two-game slate, so you might as well just sprinkle in some Higby. We saw Cam Akers handle 27 touches in just his 30 game back, which is pretty remarkable, but it results in just 68 yards. Daigle, is this the likely over-rostered running back you were referring to a few minutes ago? Cam Akers absolutely is. I understand the workload, is, workload has been amazing, so much so that he handled 24 25 running back carries this past week, 27 of 30 backfield touches, and 90% share actually of the team's backfield touches. But overall, like his performance and the matchup, both terrible. Since he returned in week 18, Akers has averaged 2.3 yards per carry and 3.3 yards per touch. And after James Conner crushed the Niners front seven for 160 total yards and multiple touchdowns in week nine, San Francisco actually has clamped down and has not allowed more than 60 rushing yards to any running back from week 10 on, including this first matchup against Sony Michelle, who was gang tackled for 43 yards on 21 carries. So just given how poor he's looked off of injury and the matchup, I think Cam Akers is going to be played a lot for his touches. And I would argue his touches don't even matter in a two-game slate. We should instead be going for a 15-touch back, like a Clad Edwards Lair, like a Jarrett McKinnon, who can be more efficient on their touches. Deggle, did DK drop his price to like 2900 Wasn't that like, I'm just joking. Because was, wasn't that laughably low? That was the <laughs> showdown slate. And then last week he was 5700 And FanDuel as well. And it's hard to get under 6 k on FanDuel. So he was played last week. Kyle and I also said it was a very bad play, just given the matchup as well. And I think we're just running that bat- matchup back here. Of course, he can score inside the goal line. But you're also worried about that the fact that Sonny Michelle, two of his three touches, came after seven minutes left in the fourth quarter because that's after Cam Akers had his second fumble. So you have to wonder if there's also a small transition there, in particular like at the goal line where it matters most to hold on to the ball. And so there's just lots of reasons, actually a lot more reason to worry about playing Akers than there is like to fading him. He's taking the Adrian Peterson comparisons to a new level with the fumbles. That's actually a really good comp right now. (laughs) So looking at San Francisco, Trent Williams didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday due to his ankle injury. Pat, as the week gets late, as things get late, how do we say that? Are you concerned about the fallout for this Niners offense? How concerned are you really if Williams doesn't play or is trending toward being limited? Well, the ankle is a place where you can inject a pain-killing shot, and I'm assuming they will do that to Trent Williams, and he won't be able to feel his foot, but he will play. And Even if he can't play, I mean, Kyle Shanahan now, he's been in control of this roster, what, four or five years. I'm sure it's not going to be ideal to lose the best left, left tackle in the league, but I'm sure they have some zone blocking specialists they can slide in. And like, it, it won't be like the end of the world. Uh, they're still going to run the ball. And uh, I think Trent Williams is going to play is my short answer, Matt. We talked about the value of Cam Akers touches or the lack thereof. What are you expecting the Elijah Mitchell touches to net Pat as we keep it with the, the Niners ground game? 20 touches for 71 yards last week. What are your expectations this week? He's cleared 20 touches in seven straight games. Last week was the first week in seven games where he didn't reach 20 carries. He, quote-unquote, only had 17 carries. I mean, 20 is just an ironclad lock, basically. They're in full high Jimmy mode. We know that against this opponent, even if they fall behind three scores, which they did in week 18, 17 to nothing, they stuck with the run. There's just nothing that can get the Niners off the run at this point. I mean, I guess if they're down – you know, three scores like late in the third quarter, the transition will finally happen. But 
this the 49ers there's there's no like adjustment for them to make like this is who they are those touches are going to be there no matter what and it would just be stunning to see Elijah Mitchell finish with fewer than 20 carries. Meanwhile, the Rams had just no answer for Debo Samuel the last time these teams met. 95 receiving yards, 45 rushing yards, and he threw a touchdown pass. Daigle, are we expecting more of the same this time around for Debo? The exact same usage, practically. And a little bit of a bump for Garoppolo. Is it a tough matchup? Sure, but the Rams use cover three at the second highest rate in the league of any team during the regular season. And Jimmy Garoppolo quietly led the NFL in yards per attempt, 9.9, and completion percentage against cover three this year. If you look at any heat maps, wherever you pull up that kind of stuff on your own end, you see that the Rams allow a high rate of passes to the middle of the field, and that's exactly where Garoppolo throws at, between the hash marks. And so I actually think it's it's a pretty good spot for Garoppolo to at least dump down and then you hope for the yak, as you always do with him. So I wanted to get your thoughts, Denny, on George Kittle, who went four catches, 63 yards last week, and Brandon Ayuk, who did not catch a pass last week. Is Ayuk even in play one week later, and do you like this matchup for Kittle? Ayuk is only in play if, if you foresee a, a massively negative game script for San Francisco here because he has no chance to see more than, I don't know, two or three targets even if he runs a full complement of, of snaps, if this game is, is you know, lots of neutral script or positive script for the Niners, but again, two games slate. So I do think that he is in play. I will say that in games where Ayuk has seen at least seven targets over his career, which obviously started last at the beginning of 2020, he has averaged 79 receiving yards and 0.6 touchdowns per game. So he has, you know, he's he's a highly productive guy when given the chance. Unfortunately, he's trapped in this offense. So if you're I think if you're if you're going to put Ayuk in your lineup for DFS purposes, I think it makes most sense if you also have, you know, Cup and Acres or some Rams in there who would have to help their team get out to a lead and therefore force Jimmy G into a pass-heavy game script. If you put Ayuk in, you just have to oh, say it's a two-game slate while you do it, and then I think you're yes, covered, I, I, as long as you say that. Just announce that. You just say that three times and blink and click your heels, and then, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a federal statute, actually. You have to do that. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, as for, as for Kittle... We don't talk about blocking tight ends on this show. Each of his... <laughs> so mean it's uncalled for really but you know Kittle had seven targets in each of his games against the Rams this season in the first game in week 10 he was targeted on 40 percent of his pass routes which is a lot is a ton actually and and you know this is the same guy who we may forget because it's been so long since this has happened but during the regular season he was targeted on 27 percent of his routes that was the highest by far among tight ends now that's dropped to 17% in the postseason. If if we can bump that up a little bit toward that season, that, se- that regular season rate, I think we could have something cooking with Kittle, especially he's 5,000 on, on DraftKings, which just seems ludicrous to me. It's good when there are tight ends who only cost 5,000 to have 180-yard ceiling. That is typically good. Exactly. And, and you know, will it feel good? <laughs> like, like, is it... Is he, does he have any kind of floor here if the Niners do what they want to do? No, he really doesn't. But, you know, you, you do it anyway. <laughs> you do it anyway. That's the theme of, you go theme the, of the weekend. <laughs> but like Kittle in week 18 has seven targets against the Rams or his most in five weeks, but then he caught five balls for 10 yards. Very, very strange. 
No, no, <laughs> no one's going to play Brandon Ayuk for sure off of zero targets. That's I was for sure. Even in a two-game slate, so at part. least we have that. <laughs> All right, that's the end of our preview. Anything to promote? What do you guys want to promote heading into the weekend? I have my DFS breakdown on the site along with ranks. If you know, if you're into those still in the championship round. So check that out. Just keep it locked to the player news page for conference championship news, for coaching carousel news. And yeah, it's actually surprisingly bumping time on the player news page. So keep it locked. No building block show that's done since after the four game slate, we don't do it anymore. But I will be joining Denny and Corrine for DFS spaces on Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern on social media. So be there. All right, that will do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review our show as well. want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks to all of you guys. Good luck this weekend, everybody.